Hello and welcome to the Care for the Family podcast with me, Mark Chester, Stephen Hayes and Ugo Ebo. Ugo is our special guest today and this is the Dad Cave where we discuss fatherhood in its varying forms and unpack some of the things that just often don't get talked about. So, Ugo, let's start with you. Welcome to the Dad Cave. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Gosh, where do you start? So, yeah, my name's Ugo. Um, I am 37 years old, nearly 38. Um, I've been married for nearly 10 years to my wife, Yvonne. Um, we have three children that live with us, two that are our own, um, Ruben and Emily, and my niece, uh, Abigail, also lives with us. Um, yeah, and we live in the Chester area, so just south of Liverpool. Brilliant. Thanks, Hugo. Well, it's great to have you in the Dad Cave today. And um, one of the things Stephen won't know about you is that um, Hugo and I spent many years playing football together. Very well, I should do that. Uh, he's a very good footballer. And he's younger than me, he's fitter than me, he's stronger say, when, than me. When you said playing together, were you in some sort of co coaching capacity? <laughs> no, I mean, if, if Hugo, you're 37, yeah. Mark, you're 50. I know I don't look it, but I am actually 50. I know that's hard to believe, 50. And I, I have hard. to say, Ugo did save me a lot of times. We used to play <laughs> alongside one another in defence, yeah. and he covered for me a lot. So when I was a little bit slow, then he'd help me out. So, Mark, Mark was brilliant at the back. He used to just command it. We just used to kind of listen to what he said and follow it. It was, it was good, yeah. good partnership. So you like the Carvani to your Mason Greenwood almost? Well, I talked a good game. Just didn't, <laughs> just didn't have the ability to match it. To but, um, <laughs> I hear that. Anyway, what we need to start off with is dad jokes, because we always start off the mm. dad cave with our dad jokes. And we're going we're gonna to start off with Stephen, because uh, Stephen is a bit of a raconteur, and he has some great jokes. He's never shared one of his great jokes in the dad cave yet, mm. but today might be different. So, Stephen, can you feel, kick it feel, off feels like a special I resent moment. the accusation that none of my <laughs> jokes so far, so far have been great. Um, but here we go. And this is an original. Yeah. It's by Tim Vinesque, actually. Hmm. I had to fire my decorator recently. He got quite emotional. <laughs> emotional? Yeah. Come on, that, yeah. that is worthy of some but sort of award. That, that was something. <laughs> it was something, yeah. Uh, yeah. <coughs> An award, I'm not sure. But I have to say, it was one of your better dad jokes, Thanks. to be honest. Thanks, so, um, so here's mine. Okay, what did the stationary manager say when he jumped out of the closet? I don't know. What did he say? Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite good, actually. So, <laughs> Ugo's great, isn't he? Because he laughs at our jokes. Yeah. He's the first guest I'm we've had that's laughed pleased. at our jokes. I don't, I don't remember you laughing at my jokes. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I, I chuckled. <laughs> it, was, it was an inner joy. <laughs> so come on, Ugo. Oh, I'm joke. not sure I can save us, but I'll, I'll keep it going. Okay. What did uh, Zero say to the eight? Don't know. What did Zero say to the eight? It's a nice belt. <laughs> <laughs> Did I save it? Uh, yeah, oh, well, no. <laughs> Took it out of the road. Um, for the edit, we'll go again. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, I think we should get into the subject. I think <laughs> yeah. that's enough of dad jokes. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. So, um, so today we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a black father and raising kids in a mixed race family. So, Ugo, just could you start off by telling us just a little bit about your background, please? Yeah, so um, I actually was fostered when I was very young, uh, about one and a half, two years old. Um, and this was in inner city Birmingham at the time, so it's about the 80s, uh, for those who could calculate my age straight away. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I was actually fostered into a white family, um, and, and my foster parents were actually very elderly. They were about in their 50s and 60s when they had me, so 
if you just try to picture the scene, you've got this foster family, 50s or 60s in the 80s with a little black boy, uh, trying to raise him, trying to what teach age were you? him. Uh, yeah, about one, just, just under two. Okay. Yeah, just under two years old and, you know, trying to raise me and bring me up in the 80s of inner city Birmingham. So it was a, it was, it was a, it was a crazy journey. Um, and I stayed with them actually till I was 18 years old and then I went off to university. Um, and it was always quite an interesting concept that, I, and I started to really imagine it when I was, was a teenager, I really started to get to grips with it as a teenager when I started to understand the, the, the racial differences there were. So when you're a bit younger, you kind of just go, this is my family, this is who I stay with. I go and spend time with my natural family, then I come and stay here as well. But as I get older, I started to really sort of recognise those differences. Um, I started to try and marry up those differences to understand how do they interact why is this a struggle there and not struggled here? And some of those kind of things. That's something that stayed with me um, all my life, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like I say, when I was 18, I moved off, went to university. I'm still, you know, very close. My foster parents are both past now, but my foster brother, we're, we're still very close. Um, and I, like I mentioned at the start, been married 10 years, nearly 10 years now, and my wife is white. Um, and it's quite interesting when I, when I think about our journey to becoming a married couple, we'd known each other for a long time. Um, and then we sort of got to that stage where we started to go, we just became a bit more than friends, started to you know, like each other and stuff like that. And it was, we would then start to have those conversations, probably driven more by myself because of my upbringing. I used to be like, I don't think we can ever be together um, because not only will the journey be difficult for us as a mixed couple, me black, you white, but also our kids. Mixed race children have a real struggle with identity, they have a real struggle with belonging, they suffer terrible prejudice from both sides of the scales, from the black sides and the white sides of community. Um, and they really, yeah, they really do find life quite difficult. So if we were ever to take our relationship further, become a married couple, that's what we will be bringing into the world. Mm. And is that something that we want to do? And so probably about two or three years, we went around this journey where we weren't, we weren't sure whether we did and probably delayed you know, getting married yeah. because of it. Can we circle back then? So you, when you were growing up, you were going between your natural family and back to your adoptive family? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so how was it then seeing the two different cultures and kind of being in one world and then another and, and, and what... Kind of what age did you start to feel, oh, there's something different about the two different households? It was just really difficult. It was really hard. Um, so I had, um, I, I mean, you went from the, the smallest things to the biggest things. Like you go from the small thing of on Saturday evening when I'm with my natural family, I'm having chicken and rice. And then on the Sunday evening when I go back to my uh, white family, I'm having uh, peanut butter jam sandwiches, right? <laughs> you know, you got, you got the, so you got the smaller things like that, which you can, mm. as a child, you can kind of just deal with. It's exciting, it's fun. Both good meals. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. <laughs> both healthy, both, both take, fun and good fun and games, yeah. <laughs> but then you start to get to um, the sort of the bigger things. Um, for those that don't know, I'm a Christian, and but both my family were of faith. Um, my natural family were Christians. My uh, foster family were heritage Catholic. Um, but moved into kind of more of a Christian circle. Okay. Um, but simple things like the churches you'd go to. And one weekend I was at one church and one, another weekend I was at another church. And at first, whilst you don't really think about it because you're kids, you like church, you're... <sighs> but when you actually start to engage with what's being said and the way it's being said and how the people in your 
black church speak compared to how people in the white church speak compared to maybe some of the more charisma you might see here versus some of the what charisma looks like in this mm. church. And some of those things start to play through. And I'd probably say from about the age of eight, nine, ten, I really started to recognise that. I really started to find those differences a little bit of a strain at times and a bit of a struggle to marry. I remember a real turning point um, when I was, I used to be a bit of a runner, you know, you can't tell now, but I used to, I used to actually do a bit of running. Post lockdown. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the dad bod, isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it and I used to do a lot of running. I used to be quite fast and sprints and stuff like that. And um, my foster family would, you know, come to the sports day every day. And my, like I was saying to you before, my foster parents were quite old. <clears throat> and they were, my foster mom used to be in the wheelchair, um, probably about when I was from there, just about nine or 10. I remember them coming to my sports day and I remember being, and I didn't mean to be, but I was a kid trying to understand life. I remember being a little bit embarrassed um, and almost staying away from them a little bit, kind of sitting on a little bit on the other side of the sports field, mm. just because I didn't really want to be seen with A, an elderly person, B, someone in a wheelchair, and C, somebody who's white. That's really odd for me to mingle for everyone that's come to see this race. I'm not sure that I want them to recognise me and their parents. And it was my foster brother, the one I was saying I'm really close to now, we've got a 12-year gap, and he turned around to me after the event and he said, do you know what that felt like for mum? Referring to our foster mum, I was like, no, because I hadn't even figured it through. Mm. And, he, and he likened it to somebody being punched in the stomach, thrown on the floor and having salt poured on, the, on their wounds. Wow. And, and, and I was like, Phew. And then, the cut a long story short, the following year, same sports day, I was doing the sprints again. I was, I was climbing all over a wheelchair, I was <laughs> hugging her all over the place. But, that, but you know, that, that's a lovely ending that you can think about it. But the concept, I guess, was me trying to marry the real social differences of me and what was my family. Um, and even then, when I would go to my natural family, I didn't really feel a place there either, because I was very different. I had four siblings. I was very different to all four of them, because mm. they had this different upbringing. Mm. So whilst I looked like them, I didn't feel like them. So it was quite it was tough. It was quite yeah, a lot of emotional weight to be carrying. A lot. Yeah. yeah. At a very young age. What I'm fascinated about as well is that you, you, you talked about with Yvonne when you met Yvonne about having those conversations about whether you could get married, thinking ahead to when you were going to be parents and, mm. and, and, and what that would mean for the, the children. I mean, I don't know when, when you got married. Did, did, we, did you have those conversations about children and what, what it would be like for, you know, what life would be like in any way for the, for the no. children? We discussed it, whether or not we wanted children, but yeah, yeah, there was no sense of anything else. To, to discuss, really. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was a long time ago for me, but I can't, <laughs> I mean, a long time ago, but I can't remember having any other conversation than what you said, Steve, no. which is, are we going to have kids or not? But for you, that Hugo, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. So how did, you, mm. how did you work your way through those conversations and, and why did you decide, actually, yes, we can do this together? They were tough conversations because my wife... Um, and, I, and I don't know if this is, this is the concept that probably you guys are thinking as yourself, but obviously my wife's coming from a white background. When I used to come and talk to her about those things, she, she was like, do we need to be worrying about this? Is this something we need to be thinking about? And I was like, yes, this is important. This is, this, is, this, is, this is our future and our kids' future. So before we even want to go down this road, this mm. is a significant thing. And I'd probably say for maybe a year, it was a bit like, um, 
probably a better phrase to use, but like water off a duck's back a little bit. Because she's like, oh, I, this isn't a problem. This isn't the thing we need he to do. He thought it was about. a non-issue. Yeah, yeah, it was a non-issue. We love each other. That's mm. enough. That's sufficient. And our love will carry everything through. And, uh, and we'll get to a happy place at the end. Off we run to our castle together. You know? song <laughs> that's, that, that's the fairy tales that we all live with, isn't it, yeah, right? Yeah. But the reality, yeah. I mean, 2020 showed us that. The reality of that is very different, right? Yeah. So, um, so those conversations were difficult at first because it just... It, it didn't play through to her. It didn't make sense to her. Um, but I think as our love grew, I, I, you know, in spite of all of that, and then she realised that kind of this is this is this is a big deal to him. So if mm. this is a person I want to spend the rest of my life with, I probably need to engage and understand this a bit more and understand where he's coming from and why he's coming from that. And I think what did help was when she got to know more of my family. And she saw the differences there. I mean, there's differences, like I said, between me and my family. So when she got to know your family, which side? My, sorry, my black side of my okay. family. Yeah. Um, it, it, that, that was a real eye-opener to her because, especially with my parents, especially my mum, because my, my dad wasn't as massive a part of my life, whereas my mum was. And, and she was, she just saw a very different type of culture, character and person. And she's like, okay, there is a difference even just there. So actually, and these things play very heavily into who, Ugo is as a person, so actually, this can't just be ignored. And I guess we then went on the journey of trying to figure out what are the kind of issues we might face, what are the barriers, how do we work this, how do we ensure that... Um, I, I, one of the things that I remember from growing up is that a lot of mixed-race children in my school, and this is not a generalisation, but from my, my own historical reference, a lot of mixed-race children in my school, they didn't see much in their black family. <clears throat> it was usually a black dad, um, and he was usually quite absent. And there's loads of reasons for that. It's not because black men are terrible. No, it's not that at all. And hopefully today we'll kind of debunk that myth, right? But mm. there was the whole concept of it, it, that marrying of two cultures or two races, people think is a non-issue and realise it is when it's too late. And that's why I saw lots of my mixed-race friends actually didn't have the black side of their family in and they're just quite confused and quite lost. So it was like, how do we make sure that our kids know all both sides of their family mm. equally. Yeah. They have a look, they have an appreciation for both sides of the family. They don't see one side as being slightly odd because they wear traditional attire and eat food that smells in a different way. And they don't see one side as being less active because they're not as charismatic. And yeah. some of those kind of things, they're kind of making sure that the foundations are really in place and stuff like that. So you yeah. said, as when you were growing up, you were almost like between, you were stuck in the middle somewhere because yeah. you are going between the two families. So fast forward, like you're, you've now, you and your wife, you've decided, we're, you've had those discussions, you, want, you, know, you know how you're going to tackle some of those um, uh, factors in your marriage and when you um, start trying to have kids and all the rest of it. So what, from that sense of like being in the middle, was there any of that as you've now got, you're in a mixed relationship and you've got mixed race kids, how much of that has played into how you've, how you've raised them? One thing that I did realise that I think I had as a child and, and, and a lot of mixed with is, is the image of what black is. Um, and, and actually, I think there has been a lot of, you know, just not getting too political or anything, like that, but I think there has been a lot of imagery of black that has played out in society to make people think, how they think about black people. So even within the black community, like when I grew up, I would go into a shop and I'd, I'd, I'd expect the security guard to follow me around. If you I expect that? I'd expect it, right. yeah. If I'm in the shop and, and, the, and there's a group of black kids over there, I'm expecting them to cause trouble. I'm expecting that, I'm black myself, and I'm expecting that to happen. 
Um, I, I, because that's what I've kind of almost been conditioned to do. I, th- I see television imagery of of Africa as this impoverished pov- nation. So again, my heritage, if I think of that, if ever starts to go down that road, I'm thinking of black in that negative way. And, and that was stuff that I grew up with. So when I used to go to my, my natural home and my mum is playing Nigerian music and dressed in Nigerian attire, I've got an imagery of that and a concept of what I think that is. That's probably not what it, the best it could be. And it's definitely not what it actually is. And one I, what I found in my kids quite early doors, um, my son's very close to me and he's, and he's always been close to me. I mean, Mark, you, you know, you've known the family for a while and mm-hmm. Ruben, my, my eldest boy, he's quite close to me and he's always been very close to me and it's quite funny because he sits on the bus and he'd see a black person he'd be like, oh, dad, dad, <laughs> you know, and if I was like, no, no, that's not dad. You know, dad's at work, oh, stop that straight away. <laughs> but like, um, he, he, he appreciated, his only image of black was a good image of black. And that gave us, that almost taught us the thing that we hadn't even prepared for. So we prepared for all these foundations. Mm. But what we hadn't prepared for is how do we just show him what good looks like, Mm. what good black is, what good white is. And then he doesn't even need to, all the rest just falls into place. And we saw that play through quite early doors. He, He almost taught it us from a baby that for him, there was no such concept as black being a bad thing. And we were then able to build on that foundation, which is something that I didn't necessarily have as a child growing up. And I wasn't able to develop that. And he has been. And then my daughter's come out and the same thing again. And now, you know, I talked about my niece. My niece is full black. Um, she's my brother's girl and she's full black. And she, she lives with us. And, you know, when she draws a picture, the people she colours them in, they're black. You know, there's no such concept to her as anything other than that. Mm. And again, it takes us to another level of just that imagery of black is what actually sometimes drives that kind of division about how, how you perceive yourself if you're in a mixed race scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does yeah. make sense. It makes perfect sense. I'm fascinated by this kind of... You've started from a very early age, really, yeah. in, in talking about race or, 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 you know, not ignoring race with yeah. your children. I, I, don't, I mean, how old's Imogen, Stephen? Uh, just gone two. Just gone two. I mean, is there anything, is there anything about race that you, you have to deal with at all with not, Imogen? Not massively, but there's, there's little examples. So... Uh, so she was, she turned one during the first lockdown in March last year. So, but I do remember us going to the supermarket when we were allowed to start doing that again. And um, there's a, a black woman who, who served us. And I, and I did notice she seemed like a little bit like, just kind of figuring it out. I said, I said give the lady a wave. And my daughter waved her and then she, of her own, um, off her own back then blew a kiss. And we just thank thank the lady and, and on our way. But it was kind of like, I guess in that moment, it's like this lady's serving us. But Imogen has noticed something different. She's not got any preconceived ideas. She's just noticed difference. Um, so I guess my reaction was just to do what we do normally, just give away, say hi, and be on our way. So that's probably the best. The no, I was going to say, and I think, and I think it's key. Um, and... <laughs> Probably gonna sound like I'm on my soapbox a little bit. So, um, but um, you did pretty one. If you lean yeah. forward, yeah, if I lean forward, I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit. Come but, on, get on your soapbox. But it's, too, it's, it's that whole concept of oh, I don't see colour, I don't see difference. Mm. Let's let's just let's just stop it. Let's just stop it. Let's just be really honest and let's just stop it. I was having a chat to a friend this morning. We were talking about sort of what do kids see and what they don't see. Kids don't see racism. They don't they don't see that this is. They're not born to see that. They're not born to go, I know that this is right and this is not right and this is better than that. They learn that. 
be it through imagery, like I talked about before, or I learned as a child that, oh, actually, for black, it's a problem if you're nice. Yeah, they learn that that's not ingrained in them. But one thing they do see is difference. In you start it from school with kids and they see the difference in colour, they see it. So, you know, your daughter's a brilliant example where she's seen somebody who looks different to what she's used to seeing. And you can just pretend to ignore that, say, oh, I don't see colour, I don't see difference. Or you can actually try to address it and, and talk about it. And was, that it was that way of dealing with it just kind of... Is it... Re Recognising that your daughter has seen the difference and then just helping your daughter to realise it's completely fine, it's mm. completely normal, there's nothing odd here, that is, that is key. That yeah. is absolutely key. You can't not do that. And a lot of people don't do that for fear of getting it wrong, for yeah. fear of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. And you just have to, you have to just do it. Yes, sometimes you might put your head above the power pit and it gets a little bit of a smack on the top of the head and that's gonna hurt, but, but you have to do that, you can't mm. not. You have to step forward. I, and I, that's that. really helpful because I, I can remember times when the kids were young being on the bus and they point out somebody who, who looks a bit different and, and you tend to try and quiet them down, change the subject, do you want to sweep? And part of that is, is because um, you, you perhaps don't want them to to, to almost notice the difference, yeah. but, but you're right, they have. I yeah. mean, they've noticed it. Part of it is embarrassment in the moment, not wanting to talk about that yeah. in front of the person they've noticed. Yeah. Mm. And, um, but I think probably what the challenge is, is making sure you do talk about it, is what yeah. you're saying. Make, yeah, 100%. It's, they're great opportunities to start talking about difference and being mm. very open about difference rather than pretending it's not there, which of course yeah, is true. Because if you don't, someone else will. Someone, yeah. 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 I, and the person that does yeah. probably won't do it how you would want them to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the truth and that's yeah. the reality. What are you, Hugo, I'm just wondering in terms of the future, as your kids get older, what are your sort of hopes and worries for them? I think um, I found 2020 quite difficult for me and it's made me, on the one hand, concerns for my kids, on the one hand, actually quite optimistic for the, for the next, next generation. On the one hand, the concern has come from just seeing how, how much animosity the UK, which is, you know, quite it should be, and it's supposed to be a very welcoming place, how much animosity it comes to, has been from people either talking about race, doing performances around race, putting black people or mixed heritage people on a advert. You know, it, it, it's driven significant backlash. I mean, a, a great, great example was, I think it's the Sainsbury's advert. Sainsbury's are doing adverts with carrots and all sorts. Not a problem. The second there's an all-black family, oh, that doesn't represent who I am. It's like, well, <laughs> the oh, carrots... That was, that was the carrots, Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The carrots were more representative of who you are, clearly. <laughs> but, you know, when it's a black family, that's a problem, right? So so that then makes me worry about... And there was it. loads of other adverts in that campaign yeah, that yeah, were other loads. families. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but that one was the problem one. And it's like, well, if I've got kids, and this is one of the things that we talk about a lot, it's, it's quite a tough topic to kind of navigate around. It's like, do mixed-race people get labelled as black by non-black people uh, and and sometimes they do the, no one looks at somebody and goes oh you're, you're a bit lighter brown so therefore you, you know all those images i've seen of africa don't really apply to you and all those images i've seen of negative black doesn't really apply to it doesn't work like that mm. you know the system and you know we can all turn around and say oh there's no system reason there is the system can be problematic for mixed race children just as much as it can for black children and other people of colour. So seeing that play through in 2020 was really hard for me. You know, I, you know, I wasn't massively overspoken in 2020, but I did share some thoughts and seeing other people who I thought were friends sharing their thoughts, which actually were just quite racist, was quite a bit of an eye-opener and quite 
a concern for me because I thought, gosh, this is the society that my children are going to grow up in. And I've been thinking about this before they were born, and now it's really coming to a head. And all those things that have kind of remained under the surface that I knew were there are now completely out there. The thing that does give me positive and optimism, though, is that I've seen just how people engage in, in the, how the next generation are engaging with this. Mm. That, that some of the stuff that you try and talk to them about, they're like, it's not even a thing. Why are people making a fuss about it? Because it's just so obvious and blatant to them. And when I see that, that gives me real hope. Um, and I'll, I'll play back a story to you from my, um, from my son. Um, he had a friend stay over, a Nigerian boy, uh, so looks just like me. He, he, this is pre-lockdown when, you know, friends could interact and have sleepovers and stuff <laughs> the like that. The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. Um, and his friend was talking to him. And this is back in the day when we had the radio monitor um, so we could hear them talking. And they were talking about black people. Um, and the, the little what boy... What age were they both, sorry? Oh, gosh, it would have been maybe five or six. Okay. So about two, two and a half years ago, maybe. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, yeah. Oh. And, and, the, and the little black boy was like, oh, yeah, but black people smell. And my son was like, what do you mean they smell? He's like, no, they, they smell a bit funny. And my son was like, no. And my son's son like a bit like me. He's, he's inquisitive, he pushes. So he keeps pushing. He's like, explain what you mean. I don't get it. I don't get it. He's like... And he started off because first of all he started off saying black people I don't like black people which was, it was strange and so my son's pushed him and then he says because of course they smell it's like I don't know what you mean they smell because oh well, they smell a bit funny and, and my son turned around and goes no they don't because my dad's black and he doesn't smell funny and me and my wife were in the room and we were like yes because <laughs> we just felt like it was a win it felt like all the things we'd done just to kind of show him and our daughter like it, you know show them our naturalness and what good is and what bad is he has been able to deduce for himself what is factual, what isn't factual, what is truth and what isn't truth, what is okay and what isn't okay. Mm. And that just felt like a real win. And that's what you see a lot in the, the new generation, the, you know, the next generation, you know, you call them your Gen Zs or your millennials. I don't know what the right phrase is. I'm, mm. I'm getting into the older stages. But they just <laughs> seem to capture it better. They just seem to grasp hold of reality better in so many ways. And that gives me a lot of hope for how they will deal with race issues. They're not afraid to talk about race. Yeah. They're not afraid. To, there's, there's so many different mixed heritages around now. People who are like, that their, their, their parents are mixed of this heritage or that heritage, or they're fully this heritage or half that, you know, like complete mix and generate. So people like are very fluid in their conversations around race now. It's not something that they hide under the carpet like our generations have maybe done in the past. Mm. So that gives me a lot of hope for kind of as they move forward. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, kind of as we come into land, one of the things I thought it'd be good to just ask about is you said your, your, your wife is, is white and so she's learning some of the, you know, you said early days, you have to wrestle some of those things through. So what's it been like, because in Kev's family all the time, we're, we're talking about in, in when two people get together, regardless of background, there's mm. different baggage, different assumptions, um, different upbringings. But then when you've got two different cultures coming together, there's often so much there's just another, there's more nuance. So how's that looked in terms of, I guess, working things through um, relationally, but also just in terms of how you approach um, raising your kids and what she brings to the table and how you've managed to wrestle that, not wrestle, managed to work that through? No, I, th I think it's fine to say wrestle because I think you have to. And I think, you know, sometimes that gets lost in family and marital scenarios that sometimes you have to fight for things. 
You have to wrestle, you have to battle mm. with things to understand things. Um, my, you know, my wife's background, her, her family history as well, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, there's been some struggles and some journeys there. And she had to bring that to the table and I had to learn to understand that. And the exposure to that was, was a real big, big deal. Um, you know, getting to see that live, seeing her parents, meeting the family, understanding the, the stories that she's told me, seeing them play out in real life. You know, we get into this kind of concept quite a lot where it's like, oh, it's me and my partner and that's it. That's, you know, whatever else is around, it's kind of there, but we, we are the nucleus and that's what matters. Mm. And actually we found that that can never work for us. That can never be the reality because I will never fully understand the person that I'm uniting with until I fully understand that journey that they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's the engagement you have pre pre you know, pre-marriage or once you're married and even that continued on journey. And we, we do that even now, you know, I'll spend time with just me and her family without her there because I've been able to expose myself and understand her family a lot more and understand that kind of the nuances and the journey that they've all been on for however many years. Because we're a very small part of a very long journey, right? So much has happened beforehand and, you know, God willing, so much will happen in the future mm. as well. So we are a very small part of that journey, so we can never just isolate ourselves. And that's kind of the approach you've always taken. And I don't think we could have worked or understood each other fully if we hadn't taken that journey so yeah that definitely exposure is a huge thing and it's and i guess it's not being afraid to bring warts and all to the table <laughs> that's 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 sometimes the thing that's quite hard to get found out any anyway otherwise <laughs> exactly exactly and i wasn't very good at it whilst i could kind of prelude for my, for what uh future could look like with the kids i wasn't great at bringing me to the table and all the stuff that i talked about the journey that i'd been on I wasn't great at bringing that to the table. I was, I was, you know, you could call it secretive. It wasn't meant to be secretive. I just was, there was things I was maybe embarrassed about or just didn't really want to bring to the table. I didn't want to expose my wife to. But she, she was brilliant. She would, like, enforce it. <laughs> she, 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 she would make it happen. She was like, we're going to do this and we're going to see this and we're going to do that. And it's like, oh, okay. Whereas now, now I'm, like, completely on board with it. And, and it was brilliant because it just really took us on the journey to really fully understanding the surroundings as well as the... The initial. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things Stephen and I want to explore in the Dad Cave is what we are leaving for our children. So I'm just wondering, Ugo, what is it that you want to leave for your kids? It might be an object, might be belief, might be passion, might be something else. What is it that you want to pass on to your children? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I mentioned before, didn't I, about my faith and how that's a big part of me, and I definitely want them to understand and engage that. But I think this, last year has really kind of drawn out to me something that's really, I think, super important, is that they understand their history. So you remember I talked about the line, that this, this, this long line of history that's gone before them and, you know, God willing, this long line of future things that's going to be before them, they're a small part of that. But you can't really understand that journey you go forward until you fully understand what's gone. And, you know, I'm, I'm 37 now and I've gone on a whole road of learning over this last year. Um, trying to really understand my heritage, my culture, my race, how it plays out in, in life, how it's played out in some of my own journeys. And, you know, it's brought to life some quite tough things and quite emotional things. And I, I, I want my kids not to have to wait till they're in their 20s, 30s to do that. I want them to start from now and to grow up with a real confidence. Like I talked about with Ruben and that story with his friend, I want them to have that same level of confidence in who they are and their identity 
and it never to come into question so that they can just always, you know, go through life with a real strong authenticity. And, you know, I mean, the year's been crazy. My kids have had conversations with me like, you know, Daddy, what is racism and why does it exist? And, and we've had to really unravel things together, really kind of historically understand some of the amazing feats of African nations and inventions and hidden figures who have done amazing things that never get seen, teaching the things that maybe they're not going to learn in school um, or haven't learned so far in school and you know, things that I never learned in school so that they can really fully appreciate that, you know, what they see on, on TV or on charitable programmes of this impoverished nation isn't truth. But on the other side as well, you know, my, my wife, she's from Yorkshire originally, but um, her dad is Welsh and she, um, he's got a massive long line of historical relevance, you know, that, that's, that's come from his Welsh heritage and the journey. And, I, and I, they, they need to know that as well. They mm. fully need to appreciate that because that is who they are. It makes them up. It was, we were having a laugh the other day. Um, it's probably yesterday as well. We were having a roast dinner. Uh, and my wife was like, you know, get those Yorkshire puddings eaten. You need to eat, be able to eat the Yorkshire's as well, not just your rice and chicken, you know. And we, and we, may, you know, we have little jokes yeah. like that, but it, it's really important that they have that. And I really want them to understand that and, and, and have that kind of ingrained in them. And I don't mean in a, in a false way, but just have that mentality of learning and investigating and learning your history. There is so much wealth of information out there hidden in plain sight. Mm -hmm. We just... It's, it's usually only those who kind of take time to learn that ever learn it. And so, you know, I really want them to kind of engage in that. I think it will make such a massive difference to their futures and, you know, something they can pass on to their kids then. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing for me, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Brilliant answer. Hugo, I've known you for many years, but I think our conversation today has just reinforced to me what a great dad you are. So thank you for I'm joining sorry. us in Dad Cave. It's been brilliant. It's been it, amazing. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, yeah. No, so no, thank you. you. It's been a real pleasure no, to have you. That's an opportunity. And that was another episode of The Dad Cave. Thank you for listening and watching, and we hope you can join us next time.